Hey everyone, thanks for coming back to Real Leaders. I'm Sue Heilbronner, your host, and the Real Leaders podcast brings you the story behind the story of some of the most authentic, innovative leaders in the world. As you know, if you've heard this podcast before, Real Leaders is sponsored by Leadership Camp. Leadership Camp is a two and a half day deep dive into conscious leadership, building more self-aware leaders and helping to make great leaders extraordinary. You can learn more about Leadership Camp by visiting leadership.camp. I said that, .camp, not .com. Okay, before we jump in, I want to also make one quick ask. If you like this show, if you listen, please, please follow the somewhat janky UX in Apple iTunes and review the show. I'd really appreciate it. It matters a great deal. I am so happy to tell you that today we're joined by Alex Cantor. He's the co-founder and CEO of Order Mark. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Hi, Sue. Thanks for having me on the show today. Awesome. First things first, Alex, why don't you give us just a sentence or two about what Order Mark does, and then we're going to come back to you telling us more about you. No problem. Uh, so the foundation of Order Mark, we help restaurants of all sizes embrace online ordering through third-party platforms like Grubhub and DoorDash and all of these systems that want to send orders to restaurants. That was great. Super concise. The way we start every Real Leaders podcast is to ask our guest to give us his three-minute life story. So go. So I grew up in Los Angeles, fourth generation of Cantor's Deli, which is a restaurant that has been uh, in the heart of Los Angeles for 87 years now. I grew up in a great family, surrounded by good people and had a really unique upbringing, got to work in the restaurant my whole life, worked with my family. My dad's worked in the restaurant his whole life, just like his dad had before. And I really had a an eye-opening experience to what it was like to run a business. And it was always a part of every conversation, every family dinner. Everything that we did was surrounded around Cantor's Deli. And so I really feel like uh, the restaurant industry is in my blood. I'm a big foodie. Um, grew up actually playing some music as well. Went to the University of Wisconsin for college, studied entrepreneurship and economics, and then moved back to Los Angeles, where I started working in the deli even further and discovered that I, I really enjoyed bringing new technology into my family's restaurant, wanted to help other restaurants embrace new technology and grow their business. And that was the foundation of Ordermark. We, we really took a step back and wanted to think about the next generation of the restaurant industry and be a, a leader to, to allow restaurants to embrace the digital age, if you will. So Alex, one thing I've, I've heard you talk about this before, and it's just because it's the impetus story for Ordermark. Can you talk a little bit about how you got to Ordermark based on your experience working at Cantor's in these most recent years? Sure. So we were an old school restaurant. We were one of the last restaurants to bring in a POS system. Everything was done by hand. Alex, what's and a POS system? A, point, a POS system is a point of sale. Thanks. And most restaurants, uh, that's where they input their orders. It's basically going from handwritten tickets to the digital tickets that you see when you get the bill or the check at a restaurant. All right. You were there and all of a sudden online ordering started happening. And what happened for Canners? 
Grubhub was actually the first online ordering service to approach us. They asked if we wanted to sell our food online. It was this brand new concept. My family was a little opposed at first, but you know, we wanted to give it a try. We started accepting orders a little over five years ago, and it's sort of taken off ever since then. All of a sudden, all these new online ordering systems started popping up. DoorDash, Eat24, Postmates, Uber Eats, Caviar. And every time we added another online ordering service, we added new customers, new orders coming through the door, which was great for our revenue, but horrible for our staff and for our experience within the restaurant. Basically, what ended up happening was each online ordering platform sends their own hardware and interface to manage these incoming orders. So we ended up with nine tablets, two laptops, and a fax machine for all of these incoming orders. And it became a disaster to manage all this while, while also trying to pump out food for the restaurant at the same time. It was very disruptive to our operations. And so how does OrderMark solve that problem? We took a step back and realized that there had to be a better way to actually receive this information from these online ordering systems. I started asking around my community to see, are there any other restaurants who have come up with a solution and I realized that most restaurants didn't even know where to start with online ordering. They weren't maximizing their potential by the numbers game of being on all of these individual platforms. And the ones that had were in what we call tablet hell, <laughs> just like me. And once I realized that there wasn't a real solution out there, I wanted to build one for my own restaurant and then quickly realized that it was a viable business opportunity to be able to provide this and help other restaurants with their fulfillment of online orders as well. And at Cantor's, did OrderMark both help solve the you know 11 or 12 device problem, including the fax machine? Did it help that? Did it also like increase productivity, reduce errors? What were some of the other impacts other than getting rid of so many different devices in the kitchen? One of the most interesting things to me, Grubhub, the way that they send orders to a restaurant, they transmit it to an iPad and then they leave it up to the restaurant to determine how to get that information to the back of the house, to the kitchen, where the food is actually being made. And so we really wanted to rethink this and place a kitchen printer that spits out thermal tickets, which is a language that our staff was already used to and understood. And we wanted to put a printer directly in the source so that the online orders can go right to the kitchen rather than to oftentimes a host or a bartender is the one left responsible with fulfilling online orders. So just getting the information to the right place was the first obvious value prop. Another huge one for us was every time that an order gets placed, you have anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute to confirm that order on the tablet. And we ended up canceling a significant percentage of our orders and we're losing money left and right. And we want to create a system that automatically confirms these orders and brings them right to where they need to go. We were messing up orders left and right, you know, missing items. We, there was no order or process or flow to these incoming tickets. So sometimes drivers would show up and they'd have to wait 20 minutes because we started making other tickets before theirs. But once we streamlined it all, there was an actual flow to the process and our staff, it made it a lot easier for them because all the tickets were standardized and the data was consistent. Alex, the real reason I wanted to talk to you on this podcast 
is I want to talk about Cantor's, the origin story for Order Mark. Now, we're going to talk about Order Mark more than we're going to talk about Cantor's, but I would be remiss for some of my listeners if you didn't tell us what kind of food Cantor serves, what the heritage is like, and what your very favorite thing on the menu is. Sure. I'd love to, to dive into that a little bit. Cantor's is the West Coast staple Jewish deli. It is famous for the pastrami, the matzo ball soup, your traditional Jewish deli items. A lot of people, it's like their second home in LA, and it's this institution. It's a landmark restaurant that it's just ingrained in the LA culture. It's 24-7, and it's been the place for everything from after nightlife to breakfast with your family to where you meet your, your spouse or where you can find a celebrity. It's, it's, it's sort of this hub in LA for diners to come and, and sit back and, and walk into a time machine. It's like walking into the 1950s with all the decor that is super old school. We haven't touched a lot of it. And the doors don't lock. It's just been open all these years and so much <laughs> history has happened in that. <laughs> I never thought about the doors not locking. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite menu item? Um, you know, I, I go through waves. I, I, I really love our matzo ball soup is like my absolute favorite thing on the menu. A couple sandwiches that, that I've also fell in love with. The Matt special is one particularly that, that I, I really enjoy. And what's in that one? Uh, it's turkey, coleslaw, Munster cheese, oh. Russian dressing on fresh baked challah bread. And it was actually this guy, Matt, who would come in every single day and order this custom sandwich. And it was so good that the staff started ordering it all the time. <laughs> and and the quickest way to tell, you know, the kitchen staff what they wanted was they were like, you know, I just want the Matt special. And it just became a menu item. <laughs> so every day Cantor's has challah? Um, every day. We have, a, we have a baking facility on site. We bake all of our breads and pastries fresh every morning in the middle of the night. And it was actually my responsibility to track and record all of those recipes that are in the bakery because no one had ever actually written them down. And there were, there were a couple of recipes that died with a baker, and I didn't want that to ever happen again. Got it. So, Alex, the reason that I'm asking these questions, is they're just purely self-serving. So, you know, I live in Boulder, Colorado, and for 20-plus years, I lived in Washington, D.C., and there was a place called the Parkway Deli in Silver Spring, Maryland, which isn't quite as old as Cantor's and doesn't have as much 50s decor. They've actually, you know, made it look a little more modern, which, frankly, I disagree with, but they still have the same great food. So, living in Boulder, the, the, the only ding on Boulder is the lack of matzo ball soup. That's it. Other than that, great place to live. So it's just nice to talk about it. So thank you. No problem. Happy to happy to speak on, on Cantor's. It's, it's, it's in my blood. So. so just so folks have an understanding of the impact of online ordering and what you've been seeing over the last five years that you've been paying attention to this or five years or more, what's the delta? Once Cantor's was capturing all of its online orders and processing them more effectively using OrderMark, the tool that you've been building and uh, is now in use all over LA and I think other cities you'll tell us in a minute, but what was the impact for sales? So the overall impact was pretty substantial for our business. Online ordering now accounts for over 30% of our total revenue, which every year ends up being you know, a couple million dollars. 
we did not anticipate how powerful it was going to be for our business when we were first starting. We thought we'd be adding a couple new customers, and now we've basically had to shift the allocation of employees to handle this volume because it's such a incremental component of our business. And, and foot traffic was really starting to decline. And we were thinking about what are ways that we could bring in these new customers. You know, it's very expensive for restaurants to start doing advertising campaigns or spending any money on marketing. And we, we looked at online ordering as the ultimate marketing solution all of these different platforms, they're paying hundreds of millions of dollars to obtain customers and drive app downloads. And they're getting all of these loyal people who have their address saved and their credit card on file to change their eating habits. When somebody is hungry, they now open up their Grubhub app and scroll through restaurants. And if your restaurant is not listed, you do not exist. It's that simple. You know, in the early days of Groupon and Living Social, a lot of restaurants and other kinds of companies saw this as advantageous. I guess one key difference is you're, you're paying fees to all of these ordering services, but I imagine it isn't sort of the 40 to 50% that people are paying on Groupon. Uh, can you just talk to that for a minute, what the concession is of accepting, the concession for the restaurant of accepting online orders? Sure. So we were actually one of the premier partners for Groupon back in the day. Uh, I remember we used to do the Groupon campaigns and we would sell out 5,000 Groupons like overnight. It was, it was insane. Wow. Uh, it was an interesting experiment for us as a business because it was so expensive to participate in those promotions. And, you know, you would end up paying Groupon 50% and giving a 50% discount on the tickets. So, so basically it was a way to purchase new customers. And the goal was hopefully these people will continue coming back to your business, but there was no actual data to know what the results were for that. What's different about online ordering is um, you can actually track everything that's going on because every time that somebody's ordering from you, it's actually dollars coming into your restaurant. And the same way that we were hoping to get repeat business from Groupon, um, that's actually something that we can, we can see happening on these online ordering platforms. We see customers who order you know, multiple times a day. There's someone who's been ordering from us online every single day for like the last year. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's a new way to reach these customers. So the percentages that the online ordering companies take is anywhere between you know, 15% up to the more expensive ones taking in the 30% range. And when you're thinking about what that percentage means to your business and your, your profitability, we at Canners, we actually see online orders as something that's even more profitable than our in-store orders because at the end of the day, our staff is already there, the lights are already on. And so when you think about our food costs being around 35% and the online ordering company is taking another 20 to 30%, that leaves a nice healthy profit margin that we're able to take in without taking up a spot in our parking lot. No one has to wait on them, no dishes to clean, no refills to give on the sodas. And so we actually were completely fine with that percentage that they take. It, it's been working so well for us that we ended up opening a brand new Cantor's in downtown LA that is only online ordering. It's, wow. it's basically, it's, they call it a ghost kitchen or a virtual restaurant. 
where you can't even walk in. It only exists on these third-party online ordering platforms. I did not know that. One of our, yeah, I've, I've spent a little time with a company called Farmer's Fridge. Actually, interviewed the CEO on this podcast, and they're delivering freshly made food through, I'll put this in quotes, but vending machines, which are highly efficient units that are staged inside office buildings, airports, hospitals, and hotels. And it's just another way that food is changing, and you guys are really at the center of that. Just personally, and, and as it pertains to your family, is there anything a little sad about, you know, the, the, the lore and the experience of coming to a place like Canners that you feel a little sad about, you know, as you think about 20 years in the future? And also people coming together and, and maybe talking to the person they come to dinner with, but also potentially talking to other people at the restaurant? It's funny that you mentioned that. I, I was... You know, when we were first thinking about online ordering, when Grubhub first approached us, our initial thought was, we know that we have great food, but people come to Canners for the experience. They come for the environment. They come for the the old curmudgeon waitress who's going to yell at you. <laughs> and we're trying to understand how that's going to translate or how that would work in a delivery experience. And after watching the entire online ordering industry unfold, I would say, it has allowed us to reach our customers in a new setting, in a new environment. So you could bring the feeling that you get when you eat Canner's matzo ball soup to your home just by, by clicking one button on your phone, and it's just making it more accessible. Overall, um, I particularly love going out to eat, but there are many times where I'm at work or I'm at home and I don't want to leave, and I want to be able to access my favorite restaurants and have it come straight to me. And so sometimes I'm using online ordering as a discovery tool, finding new restaurants, but oftentimes I'm looking at how do I, you know, how do I get my favorite Indian restaurant delivered to me? And it's all available through these third-party apps. Alex, what part of what OrderMark is doing depends on the fractionalization of the current online ordering space? Like, if things tighten up, if there are roll-ups, if there's consolidation, how do you see that affecting your company in the future? As you go from market to market, there's a completely different balance of powers. For example, in New York, Seamless is by far the leading online ordering service. But even so, Delivery.com and Eat24 and Uber Eats and some of these other online ordering companies still exist. But then you move into other cities and other markets and you find totally different online ordering services that are the leading player. For example, here in Boulder, you have a local player called Hungry Buffs, and they are more of the college campus-oriented online ordering service. And if you're a restaurant in Boulder that's looking to maximize your value and you're not using Hungry Buffs, then you're missing out on, on all of these customers that they've acquired. So... The market is extremely fragmented. There's over 180 online ordering services out there. Solving the, the fragmentation is something that you can do for a good long time. Sure. I mean, naturally, Grubhub has been acquiring some of these online ordering platforms, sort of consolidating the market. But I would say every time that another online ordering service gets acquired, there's another three that are relevant. 
So it's an expanding market and there are a lot of players who are entering and a lot of money getting pumped into it as well. I want to turn the conversation back to you. And just so everybody has a level set, I've seen you and I guess there'll be a picture posted with this podcast. But instead of asking your age, when did you graduate from college? Um, I graduated from college in 2014, and I'm 25 years old. I'm happy to share that. So what do you think are the advantages and disadvantages of being a 25-year-old CEO in an industry with a lot of established players, especially if we stretch away from online, right? A lot of restaurateurs are seasoned. They have multiple units. How's it been going for you being your age? I would say it's extremely exciting to be surrounded by people who are typically a lot older than me. And if you look at my team, all of our co-founders are actually from different age groups and we cover all the generations up through uh, mid-60s. And it's been such a pleasure to work with my co-founders who all have different experience levels and learn from them. And I feel like they really pushed me to step up and I've learned a lot in the process just in the last year since we've started the company. In terms of restaurants, I would say there are many times where I've walked into a meeting and I think uh, the people that I'm meeting with are shocked by how young I am. And I would say that age is less relevant than experience here. And and I I had a unique upbringing where I got to grow up very hands-on in one of the largest restaurants in LA. And Oftentimes, I find that I I really just enjoy surrounding myself with with older people who have more experience, and it's been a great learning experience for me. How old were you when you started doing any work at all at Cantor's? I think my my first gig, I started waiting tables at around 14 years old. Okay. And you were spending quite a bit of time there ahead of that, right? Definitely. I sort of worked all the different positions. I spent a little time behind the deli counter, up in the bakery. Um, as soon as I was old enough to bartend, when I was 18, I started bartending in the kids' room, which is the bar attached to Cantor's Alley. And as I worked these different positions, I, I learned in the trenches and very hands-on with you know, what the restaurant industry means and what the relationships are between different departments and really the, the customer experience. And it's always fascinated me. Every time I go into a restaurant, I'm paying attention to everything that's going on. I used to collect menus as a kid. It's just something that I've always been surrounded by. So I feel like, you know, even though I'm on the younger side of of people working in this industry, I still have, you know, 10 plus years of experience, which is, which is a lot for someone who's my age. Sure. Alex, who are the three people that come to mind as the most influential to you in developing your leadership? abilities, which, you know, that could be something that occurred when you were five years old or something that occurred last week. Sure. I mean, right off the bat, my my parents both come to mind in different ways. My dad is one of the hardest working people that I know, and also one of the, one of the nicest, loving, kind human beings uh, who has, he just has the biggest heart. And I watched the way that he ran his business and the way that he interacted with with some of the members of the staff doing you know, personal favors, probably going a little too far above and beyond what the normal expectation of a boss would be. But it was a very interesting learning for me to, to watch his interactions with the employees. And then my mom, 
who growing up always told me run as far away as you can from the family business. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably one of the smartest people um, I've ever met and just, uh, again, one of the most loving people. And she's always inspired me to to try new things and, and encourage me to stray away and, and discover what I actually enjoy on my own. How and, close is your mom to the family business if she told you to run away? Uh, she does not work in the in the restaurant. She has her own. She's an entrepreneur as well. She has a hair salon that cool. she that she runs. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And who's the third? Honestly, my co-founders come to mind. I think I'm fortunate that I can surround myself with with Mike and Paul and Jay and our CTO Gary, all who have CEO experience, and I think they understand the challenges that I that I go through and they're able to to recognize my position in the company and and help me in ways that I don't think most people have ever helped me before. And I've grown a lot through the last year and now in the Techstars program in Boulder. I, I I also feel like I'm surrounded by all of these other great CEOs and leaders and, and bouncing ideas off each other and sharing leadership styles. And I already find myself borrowing some of the traits that I've been learning while I'm out here. I feel like I've been a sponge. That's great. How did you get so many talented people to jump aboard with you, either as co-founders or team members or investors? What do you, what do you think it is about you? Or I, I'm sure the opportunity is something that you think is, is unique and incredible. And it seems that way based on the reception that you're getting. But w what did you contribute to that buy-in? I would say when I, was, when I first met some of my co-founders, uh, Mike and Paul, they actually approached me with the idea of bringing these platforms together. And after explaining to them that I had already begun building this process for my own restaurant, it was an immediate match. And at first, my plan was not to be the CEO of this company. I was going to help with potentially building the product or with some initial sales. And right away, within a couple of weeks, they both came to me and said, we think you should be the CEO of this company. And you understand this stuff, you know, so well, and you're so passionate about it. And and I truly feel like like every time that we add another restaurant to our to our client list, it's such a rewarding feeling knowing that I can bring you know the ability for these restaurants to embrace this into their into their own restaurant. Um, so I'd say I'm definitely passionate about this specific industry and anything that I can do to help advance the some of the more old school restaurant people out there. Um, that's, that's what excites me and gets me going. Alex, other than your obvious passion and experience in this sector, what do you think, what are the intrinsic qualities of yours that set you apart as a leader? Um, it's a great question. I would say I really enjoy building relationships. And as a CEO of a company, it's important to make everyone else in the company feel motivated and give them, you know, recognition when they're, when they're doing great things. And, and I, I strive to continue learning how to be a better leader and how to inspire others to take their own initiative and go above and beyond. And, and I really you know, one thing I'm really proud of at Ordermark is we've been able to to build uh, a company really fast where there's no 
people telling each other what to do. It's a very collaborative environment. And I think that's, that's something unique uh, that we aspire to, to show throughout our, our employees. Can you just talk a little bit about your traction right now and where you are? And, and just for anyone listening, if you want to learn more about OrderMark and you haven't already Googled them, I think is, is the URL getordermark.com, Alex? Yeah, it's actually just ordermark.com now. It used to be getordermark.com. Okay, congratulations. So what markets are you in and and where can restaurateurs learn more about where you're headed? Sure. So we we are based in Los Angeles. We started working predominantly with LA restaurants when when we were first getting off the ground. And now we realize that the problem that we were solving for small and medium restaurants was actually even more relevant for some of the bigger restaurants out there. And that has allowed us to build relationships and begin working with some of the the largest brands like Sonic and Yogurtland and Halal Guys. And we're, we're very excited to roll out to new cities. We now have nationwide coverage and a 30 person team Based in Santa Monica, California, we've raised uh, we've raised 3.1 million dollars to date from two investment rounds. One that we did early on from Angels, and the second one we just recently um, announced about a month ago, where we raised uh, money from three LA-based VCs: 10110 Ventures, Mucker Capital, and Act One, which are all respectable. VCs in the LA community. We're very excited about our our investment team. And we have a really intense sales strategy for 2018. We really are taking our training wheels off now. So now understanding where that you are national and that you rate you closed around right about the time, I guess it sounds like it would Techstars was already occurring when you closed it. How did you how was the decision process to go to Techstars when you already had pretty decent traction with funders and, and also with customers? So when we first applied to Techstars, we were actually pretty early on with our company. We had a much smaller team. And over the course of the interview process and the application and the various rounds of interviews that Techstars hosts to be accepted into the program, that was really our peak growth of our expansion. We brought on, I think, about 10 people during the time that that happened between September and around November of last year. And by the time we got into Techstars, we'd already begun the fundraising for our seed round. And some of our seed investors and the people that we were speaking with at first were opposed to the idea of us you know, packing our bags, leaving the team behind and moving out here for a couple months. And I wanted to really understand the program and the benefits and the the Techstars experience. So I I spoke with a number of companies and mentors in the program that had gone through and it was an overwhelmingly positive response. I, I hadn't really talked to anyone who thought it was a mistake or or wouldn't do the same thing all over again. And ultimately we really wanted to take a step back and um, it's been great for me to step away from more of the operations and the day-to-day decisions that that go on for different restaurants and, and focus on building our partnerships with some of the major online ordering services. And we've made substantial progress just in the last you know couple of weeks since we've been out here in Boulder. We're very happy with the way that the program 
is designed, the content of the speakers, mentors, it's outstanding. Great. That's great to hear. That's how we met. So it was great to get to meet you through that program. Alex, I have this theory that for most of us, and, and you're still, you know, you're still in your formative stages of figuring out what your feedback is that you get most often, but I like to ask people about a piece of feedback that's corrective feedback, constructive, as they say, instead of negative, that they've received most of their life. Like usually there's one or two things, there are one or two things that we've, we started hearing at two or three or four, and every time we get feedback, or oftentimes when we get feedback, either in work or in our personal lives, it's some version of this exact thing. Even though we work on it, we're, we become better, but when things don't go well for us, when we're under stress, we can still fall into this thing that people point to. What's your version of that feedback? I'm trying to, trying to think what comes to mind here. I'll give you mine. Oops. You want to know mine? Sure, I'd love to. Mine is, Sue, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Um, it's it's I, really lovely to hear that for like 50 <laughs> years. But go ahead. Trying to think of something that I, I've heard throughout my entire life. Nothing comes to mind. I mean, how about try this? What's something that you're learning now? Like a big learning area for you that feels like it's very present day-to-day -day life? Uh, I would say one of the one of the most important things I've learned about myself recently is I try to see the best in people. And I think that's a, a, it could be a strength a lot of the time, but it could also be one of my, one of my biggest flaws at the same time, because I, I try to push people to do their best. And, you know, even if something or some a person is not working out or if, if like I had everyone in my company um, at a certain point, you know, tell me things that I should have seen right off the bat. And I tried to do my best to make them work. Huh. And, and I've learned that when, when a lot of people are telling me something, I should probably listen. <laughs> I, I think I try to justify or think about, you know, new solutions or, or how we can make a change to make something work that, that probably isn't going to work. And, and I give it a little too much effort and it's good to, it's good to learn how to how to take in uh, feedback from from smart people that I'm surrounded by, and I can I can lean on them to know that that sometimes I don't see everything that's happening at first, and then I, and then I I realize it over time. That's great. That's great to know. Um, what do you think are a few advantages, an advantage or two that you have being such a young CEO? I would say one of the biggest advantages is. Everyone that I meet is looking to help me. It seems like <laughs> it seems one. like <laughs> um, it's it's such a such a blessing to have at, like every mentor, every uh, every person who I tell about the business, who I tell about my story. It seems like they want to make an introduction for me. They want to you know give me resources and help guide me to make sure that I that I can continue to to build this company 
uh, up and, and scale it out. And it's, it's, it's awesome. That's great. I, I want to suggest to you having interacted with you just a little bit and also interacting with you right now that I think that may be partially a function of age. And I think it's also a function of who you are. So it's a great example where the, the feedback you talked about, the thing you're learning it ha can be, as you, you acknowledge this, incredibly advantageous, which is, you know, you just seem like a really good guy. Seem like you talked about your dad and sort of his spirit, and it seems like that's something that you carry as well. Uh, you're a generous person, it, just in your in in how you carry yourself. So I think that I think that's also the case. Yeah. I, I spend a decent amount of time with people who are your age, and one of the things I think people miss as they're growing as entrepreneurs, in my opinion, is the idea that people who are really good at sales people who are really good at raising money oftentimes are people that other people want to see succeed. They're just good. They're just good people. So when you're near them, you feel good about yourself. You, you enjoy the idea like helping them you because they're so good hearted allows you to sort of extend that good heartedness out into the world. And I think people miss that a lot when they think about, you know, what are strategies for being a great salesman? Well, sometimes it's just, you know, being likable uh, and decent, not, not falsely likable, but just decent. So I, I really get that about you. That's insightful for sure. Hmm. Okay, Alex, we're going to, I think, finish this conversation with a few lightning questions. I'd like to do a lightning round of questions. And your Let's lightning round is going to be about my favorite topic, which is Jewish food. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, I was born ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number one, we're just coming out of uh, the holiday here. Do you eat gefilte fish? I love gefilte fish. What? But, ma but mainly because of the horseradish. Okay. It's a vehicle. Uh, it's, it's like a nacho <laughs> chip for salsa. All right. Good. Yes. Num number two, you already told me you love the matzo ball soup at Cantor's. I think that there's just this dispute about whether matzo ball should be light and fluffy or have a core that fights back a little bit. They're a little harder. What do you think? I would say somewhere in between is, is good for me. I, I do like the, that light and fluffy outer outer side of the, the matzo ball. It's got to be a little spongy so that it could soap up the good chicken broth, but it's good to have a little texture as well. Okay, good. I'm with you on that. All right. Is it possible to have a paleo diet? You're in Boulder right now, so this is, this is important. Is it possible to have paleo eating preferences and eat at Cantor's? Yes. We recently expanded our menu offerings to include uh, gluten-free options. We have salads. One of our more popular, uh, this is sort of a, something that my grandpa used to carry the tradition of, but we are, we are known for our fruit cups, what? <laughs> which, I know, which is not typically a deli, a deli staple, but we sell a lot of fruit cups. We display them in a nice case and it's, it's good fruit. All right. All right. So, uh, I'm sure that a lot of first dates happen at Cantor's. So in your estimation, what is the worst thing to order on a first date at Cantor's? <laughs> um, your teeth or it's hard to eat or what's the thing people should stay away from? 
I would say like the sloppiest thing would be the pickled herring. Oh, that, that sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. And not just sloppy, yeah. you got the breath and plus it's herring. Okay. I'm with you on yeah. that. The it's last, pretty messy. Yeah. The last lightning round question is, is making a really good bagel. Now that's something people don't in Boulder, not all of them even know what a bagel is, but by, by which I mean like crunchy exterior, dense interior. Is it really about the water? I want to say it's not about the water, but then every time I go to New York, I'm like, is it about the water? Um, You're saying you so, don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I don't think that it could actually be the water, but I don't know. I, feel, I, I would I feel, say. I feel compelled to ask for your father's phone number so I can get the real answer to this, but uh, <laughs> what's, what's I'm, your... I'm not, I'm honestly not impressed with the bagels at Canners. It's something I, I have been looking and thinking about improving, but haven't had time recently. <laughs> well, the good news is that not unlike the gefilte fish being a vehicle for the horseradish, the bagels are frequently a vehicle for egg salad or tuna, or if I talk any more about this, I'll get lost in my own thoughts about Jewish food. Alex, yes. congratulations on building a company that is on the rise. If you are a restaurateur, or if you are a new, growing, and exciting online ordering service, and you want to find out more about how to be a part of something that can really be logistically deployed in a scalable and efficient way at restaurants, you should definitely talk to Ordermark. Visit Ordermark.com. Thank you so much for being with us, Alex. Thank you so much for having me today. It was great speaking with you. Real Leaders is brought to you by Leadership Camp. Leadership Camp is a two and a half day deep dive into conscious leadership. What does that mean? Leadership Camp will make you radically more aware of your own leadership high sides and the things that can get in your way. Find out about the next scheduled women's camp and the next scheduled co-ed camp and reserve your seat today at leadership.com. Thanks so much for joining us again for another episode of Real Leaders. We'll see you at the next episode. And if you have comments, feedback, questions, feel free to reach me on Twitter at Tell Sue. Thanks everyone.